The Heat Wave Sports Show is owned and produced by Tim Unglesby. All opinions expressed by the host or guests are their own and are not endorsed by either radio station KRLV Management or any of their advertisers. It's time for Heat Wave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heat Wave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. Welcome in to Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas. Tim Unglesby and Brian with you here in Las Vegas. My co-host, as always, back in New York, TomBartonSports.com's own Tommy Barton. And tonight, two hours up until the midnight hour as we take a quick tour around the world of sports. Yes, we are going to talk week 14 of the NFL as we're now getting down to the... The home stretch of the NFL season, and we'll, we'll toss around some other tidbits of some NFL notes and even a little college football, maybe some college basketball as we get you towards your Sunday morning. I will start the show off by saying this, Tom Barton, I, I think we've hit New York cold. It is right now in Las Vegas at 10 o'clock, 34 degrees. <laughs> and we, we have the reverse here, Tim. It is 59 degrees right now at uh, 1 a.m. here in New York. So we got the flip, except it's a little bit wet here. It's not raining, raining, but it's, uh, it, it, it's bad early October weather. So is this, we're, we're in the same age, I always say we're in the same age bracket. So is this just us being old when I say, you know, the, the biggest thing about Vegas is always for people that don't live here or come here often. How do you handle the heat, right? Because we, we hit triple digits in the summertime. And then it's, uh, well, I'd rather, I'd rather be in the cold in Vegas than the heat. And for me, it was always like, I don't like either of them. There, there's just two extremes. You know, it's too hot, and it's going to be too cold here pretty soon. I mean, we're literally at freezing level right now. So is it as I get older that I, my body just can't handle either, or is it just Vegas is just it's crazy extremes? No, I, I don't know. I mean, I'll tell you, look, you know how much I hate the cold. I can't stand the cold. But the heat doesn't really bother me. You know, I do think that, you know, there is such a thing as a body clock. I mean, you know, <laughs> your temperature clock, really. So, you know, you guys do get crazy, crazy, crazy extremes. But 33 here, it was 33 here last week, you know, um, only for a day. But it was 33 here last week. It's bad, and I hate the cold. It's bad. But we gradually worked into it, so it went down from, you know, 50s, and then for two weeks it was into the 40s, and for, then it was in the high 30s, and then it got down. So it wasn't bitterly, I can't handle this. You're going from one extreme to another. You know, today, like I said, today it hit over 60 here today. You know, in three days it's supposed to go down back down to the, the low 30s. That's going to seem bitterly cold. So, yeah, I think a lot of it is we are getting older, Tim. <laughs> but I do think some of it is the extremes are, are just too much to handle. Yeah, it's every year, every year. How you guys handle it? I go, I don't handle it. I don't like either of it. It's just the way it is. You know, we get we get such a small window here in Vegas of perfect weather. I think we take it for granted because you said it literally in two days' time, we went from 50s and now we're in the 30s, man. It's just, and the other one, the other one, Tom, you'll love this one. Oh, well, you live out there, so your blood's thinner. I, come on, man. That. <laughs> I don't even want to hear that either. It, it's just cold. Let's just put it that way. It's just cold right now. Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. But you're not cold, my friend. On a tear over at Tom Barton Sports, as always. And uh, I know you got a lined-up card for tomorrow, but let's kind of just talk about some ins and outs. Uh, would you rather start with the Heisman, or do you want to start with the fiasco in Jacksonville? You know, let's start with the Heisman, because I, I don't think that there's much to say about it. it. I think we could also call this a little bit of a fiasco as well. Um, you know, the, the favorite one that probably should have won. Um, you know, I don't think anyone's happy about the results. Um, I don't think anyone's going to say, you know, there was a clear-cut winner of this year. I also don't think that there's anybody that's going to turn around and say, you know, they feel comfortable that Bryce Young should have won going away. And that's kind of what he did. So, you know, I don't know how much we can, we can get into this. I think that, you know, the Pittsburgh quarterback coming from, picking coming from the Pittsburgh organization, what they are and what they would be without him and what he had to deal with and overcome and the lack of talent, I think he deserved it. I love the fact that Hutchinson was there. I think that we need to start giving more credit to defensive players. I think that he deserved it. Young, to me, had a great game against Georgia, but he also looked horrible until about 10 minutes left or 5 minutes left even in the fourth quarter against Auburn, a team that they should have you know, rolled over anyway. So I'm not upset that the guy won it. Oh, but it's a weird idea. What do you think? So, if we go back to the college football preview show in August, and we did our our postseason awards, I had, which a lot of people had. This wasn't like me going out on a limb, Tom. I obviously had Spencer Rattler winning the Heisman. Who did you have? Did you have Daniels, or did you have somebody else? Uh, before before time, I don't remember. Right, to be honest with you, I, I didn't. Jordan? I didn't pick Young. <laughs> I don't think either one of us had anybody in the top ten. And this year, I, look, I, I'm not mad that Bryce Young won necessarily. I, I'm more kind of concerned about the way he won. Like you said, it was wasn't even close. I agree with you on the second part that Hutchinson. That that was nice to see a defensive player get a little rub. But I thought Kenny Pickett probably should have won this one. And in my mind, he was the best quarterback the whole season when you look at the top three. Even you can even throw Stroud in there if you want to go to the top four. Uh, I thought he was the most consistent quarterback or player out of those four, three of which were quarterbacks. I thought he should have won, and, and it was a bigger controvers- controversy to me that he didn't even get the top two, Tommy, and he was well off top number two as well. I think he kind of got screwed there, and I think that the ACC got screwed there. Usually, look, it was Clemson for years, right? We know that with Lawrence. I think the ACC kind of got jobbed in this situation, and this award's kind of become the Alabama award now. You know, if, but again, we look around and we look at this kind of award, you know, and it's people who are voting on things. And I say this all the time to sports betters, okay, and I, I make it very, very clear at TomBartonSports.com. I've done this on my radio show, done on this on this radio show. When you're betting on a futures play, make sure you understand you're betting on people voting. You know, how many times? There, two years, Derek Jeter absolutely deserved the, the MVP. The year especially went over Justin Morneau, who didn't deserve it at all that year. Actually, Grady Sizemore probably deserved it. But they weren't going to vote a Yankee. Uh, Aaron Judge probably deserved more votes, but they're not going to vote a Yankee. Uh, you can make an argument about Garrett Cole this year. Now, the Heisman's kind of the same thing. You know, what would it say if the Heisman voters gave it to uh, you know, Pickett, who goes to the NFL and doesn't just all of a sudden succeed. People think about those things. What does it say that, you know, it's on 
ESPN, and it's sponsored by the SEC, but a random school out of Pitt kind of gets the highest. I think a lot goes into these voters' minds. And I'm not saying that they're bought off. I think that it's just a subliminal thing. Alabama's also on, in front of you on TV all the time. How many, how many voters out there, Tim, do you honestly believe watched more than three of Pickett's games? You know, right. I'm going to say less than half. You know, less than half. Because we know in the past, people have admitted that. They've admitted in the past in voting in different sports and whatnot that they don't watch this league or they don't watch this team that much and they didn't see that. I'd be shocked. But they also are young. And they also are young against Georgia. And they also are young against, uh, you know, Georgia and, uh, in a game that they were supposed to get destroyed because of Georgia's great defense. They all saw that, you know. So I think it's just on their mind. What bothers me is... The, the idea that a defensive player just cannot win. I know that it's, it's happened once, okay? Hutchinson was, uh, what, number two this year. But why? Well, you know, if we're just saying at this point it's a quarterback-only award, which is kind of what it's become, you know, then we need to stop calling it, you know, best player in college football. We need to stop doing it. When Dominican Sue was at Nebraska, there was no doubt he was the best player in college football. He didn't get even sniffed for a high school. So, you know, I would have more of a problem. I'm glad that Hutchinson finished second. I'd have more of a problem about the idea that, you know, it has to be a quarterback. It has to be from basically your number one team, and it has to be from the God-given right of the SEC. And, again, you know, if you're looking statistically, Bryce Young, more touchdowns, less interceptions against, you said it, though, an ESPN-sponsored show by what is considered the most dominant conference in college football, whereas the scheduling, right, they'll say, well, Alabama played a tougher schedule than, than Pittsburgh did. And whether we, you and I agree with it or not, that's that's the onus it's going to take. But I, I, I'll circle what you said originally was, are they going to vote for a guy that mes- maybe necessarily won't turn that leaf into a, a full bloom in the NFL, right? So... Look at look at your past winners, Burrow and Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson and Derrick Henry, right, Tom? So Mariota, kind of a bust. That was seven, eight years ago, but still he's still in the NFL. I think Manziel is probably, if you want to go back a few years before that, was probably the real bust at that point. So, yeah, maybe systematically they, they're going to make sure that the winner is somebody that uh, has an NFL career ahead of them. Yeah, look, I... I look all the way back, and I remember when I first started watching college football, you know, and really getting into it, really, you know, getting into the crux of college football. Um, and I remember the year where Ty Detmer beat out Rahi Bishmel and Eric You know, I was an Eric Eric Bionni's stats that year were mind-blowing and, and off the charts. Uh, everybody knew about Eric Bionni. The guy was unbelievable. But Raheem Ishmael, Rocket Ishmael, had everyone's attention. He was a Notre Dame. He was the guy. And then all of a sudden, Ty Detmer comes out of, out of nowhere. And that was a time where, you know, people got up in arms about that one. One of the best Heisman kind of votes and everything else. But you go, wow, a guy from BYU beat out, you know, the best running back in the country by far. He also beat out, you know, a, a guy on Notre Dame. And people just said, well, this is a quarterback award now. You know, that's all this is, is just purely a quarterback award. And then you go down and you go, well, if it's a quarterback award, how did Tommy Frazier not win back-to-back years, right? But Eric Crouch did, you know? I mean, it's a, it's Scott Frost was there. I mean, it's a weird situation when you start to break down Heisman because 
at this point, it is almost 100% a quarterback award. I mean, that is what it is. And we have to just take it for what it is. It's the same thing with the MVP in the NFL, Tim, because the quarterback in today's game is just so much more important. My whole you know, worry with Heisman is that we're dealing with one trophy. You know, can anybody name who won the Outland Trophy two years ago? Can anybody name that? You know, you're not going to name that. They need to promote the other trophies if we're going to go, okay, you have to be a quarterback in the SEC. And that's kind of the way that's looking. Two years ago, it was Penny Sewell, by the way. Um, okay. okay, right. Yeah. Who? who? <laughs> you know, usually <laughs> I, I used to I used to, I used to be able to name you know every Outland Trophy winner because they went on and really had the most uh, pure success in the NFL. And, and Heisman, you know, sometimes you have busts, like you said. No, you're right. I mean, you and I really you know develop into to fans in our. Uh, I'd say, right, Tommy, we were. Uh, we weren't four years old understanding the NFL, but it was on the TV. And as you grow up, obviously in your, I'd say between eight and definitely into your teenage years, you you established the, the the connection. So when you talk about award winners, you know the Russell Marylands and the Orlando Paces and guys like that that we watched growing up, it, me- it meant something. Whereas nowadays, you're right; it's just like. You know that terminology, video game numbers. I think that's what the Heisman was always considered, kind of back again when you said Detmer, Andre Ware, right? Guys like that. That's why Tommy Frazier didn't win. It wasn't that he he just didn't have the passing yards, right? Is, is that? I mean, I'm trying to to think of a reason here why, but I, I get what you're saying. You know, I, it's rare. I think it's rare with these voted awards. You know, I think it's rare to find a voted award that. We all agree with that. You know, you go to the, go to the MVP, go to the Heisman Trophy. It seems like there's always a little bit of controversy. And here's the thing, Tim. It's not, you know, because we're just cynical people. It's not because this is what we do and we just want to talk. It's because they want us to talk. They want us to question them. They want us to have a conversation because then it keeps them, you know, out there. Look, if there's a runaway Heisman Trophy winner from start to finish, who's, who's watching that? Who cares? Right? It doesn't even matter. And you just go, okay, well, that's, that's kind of just that. And the end is, is well, well why, why am I tuning in? So they want us to have a conversation about it. The fact that we let off the show today talking about the Heisman is based on the fact that we did believe the picket should have got more uh, votes and he should have been the guy. So they wanted a little controversy. The, the entire Otani-Vlad conversation, well, that was pushed by Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball didn't try to squash that and try to push it down. No, they wanted that conversation. So... You know, it happens in every sport. The reason why we are talking about the controversy of it and why we are talking about what we believe and our opinion on it is because they want that. You know, they want us to have these conversations, and they do a good job of marketing the Heisman, which at the end of the day, I mean, you know, my, my, when I gave up on the Heisman, and you know this because you were on the air with me, is when Keenan Reynolds didn't win. Keenan Reynolds was the most important player to his team. He was the best player on his team. He was a quarterback for Navy that led the league in rushing. He led the nation in touchdowns. He, he was running the ball, throwing the ball, leading Navy to big-time bowl games. He was a leader on and off the field. He was a captain. This guy's going to fight into a, in a war. Keenan Reynolds was everything. Keenan Reynolds barely got a sniff. And that's when I said, you know what? Okay. You know, it, it's going to only be quarterbacks, and it's only going to be quarterbacks from big-time schools. Nobody else has a chance, no matter what kind of uh, cartoon numbers you might put up. 
And and do you think that was because, not to say he didn't play in the NFL, Tom, but he didn't become a star quarterback in the NFL, and they knew that? Oh, right. I mean, he, he by now wound up uh, going to become a wide receiver, remember? Yeah. He transferred him over. It was, it's a different style, but that doesn't mean it's not good for the college game. Well, look right. at what we just watched today. We watched Army-Navy today. None of those guys are going to translate into great NFL players. It just doesn't happen anymore with the, with the Army-Navy. That doesn't mean it's a bad brand of football. That doesn't mean that these guys aren't good at what they do. Tim Tebow was a great Navy, the best college football player ever. Didn't translate to the NFL. That's okay. You know, we're only going on what is going on right now. But I think Heisman Trophy winners look at, okay, not only just what they did in college, but what can they do after college. Next couple of weeks, of course, we're going to break down the Final Four as we have to wait three weeks to get these games in, Tom. But there's some, you know, the bowl games here get underway. And I think even if you just even look back in the the lineage of this show, Tommy, and we've been on over 10 years, but let's just go back in even 10 years. <clears throat> For me, it's changed so much in that just short time span that, like, these bowl games, yeah, there's some good matchups, right? But the excitement necessarily isn't there for me anymore. I'm not saying New Year's Day, like, I know what I'm watching New Year's Day, and, and now they spread it out so much that really encompasses, you get great matchups during the week, but just the excitement's not there for me anymore, and now you have to wait three more weeks from today to get a, a champion. I mean, it's, uh, it's, I don't it's even amazing, know Tim, how in college sports we have college basketball that does it so right. It's the best postseason of any sport, I think, by far. I don't even think it's close. They do it so right. College football does it so wrong. <laughs> they really do. I mean, absolutely so wrong. Now, one of the things that I've had this conversation uh, with Abby quite a bit, because with, you know, we're on different sides of the fence about this, I think college football is dying. It's a dying sport. It's dying all over the place. I like it, but it, it is dying. And one of my reasons is because it's so regionalized. Once your team is out, why are you watching, right? I mean, if you are a diehard Ohio State fan, are you watching Alabama-Cincinnati this year? You know, probably not. And why is that? Because your bowl game doesn't mean anything, because we already know that your season has ended. College football fans, are, if this happened this weekend, people would have been involved. Look at all the people that watch Army-Navy. But... So wait it out. Now you're going into almost the NFL playoffs. Now you're getting into, like you said, you're getting into three weeks later. It's just the, it's lost so much luster, Tim. Um, the bowl games used to hold a lot of credit, and they used to hold a lot of stock in things because you weren't able to see these teams, right? We didn't have television access. We didn't have 42 you know, channels. And I can find any college football game that I want just by going to my search bar on my Roku, right? I can find anything. Well, that, that means that the college football bowl, I'm not really excited to go see a team that I haven't watched all year because I probably have watched them all year. That's for the hardcore college football fan. For the casual college football fan, why are you watching anything but your bowl game? There's no reason. I think we've seen a lot here recently in the last few years, players just choosing not to play the bowl game, Tom. They're going to get ready for the NFL. Yeah, well, that, uh, I can't blame the players anymore because even coaches are doing it. Yeah, you know what I mean? So you can't blame the players. Um, I think I would get annoyed at the players uh, if they're in a, a situation where it's a playoff, right? If you're in a college football playoff, sure. You know, but if not, 
you have, gener- you have an opportunity to change your generation among generation, but not your kids. Your kids, kids, kids could all get changed if you get the right kind of contract, if you get the right kind of, you know, situation. Uh, like, you know, look at Pickett. He's probably going, what, I don't know if he's going top five, but probably top ten in the draft. Maybe probably top five at this point. Why would you play in pit meaningless bowl games, Tim, where you know you could have generational wealth if, as long as you stay healthy? So, you know, we're in a stage where I didn't like the players necessarily getting paid. I didn't necessarily like the, the, the nil deal. I didn't like the idea that, that, you know, this is the way that the college football is going. But if it's going that way, then why would a guy like Pickett even play? Why would he go out there and, and risk himself? Let me ask you this. Two years ago, Joe Burrow was the number one draft pick in the NFL, right? And uh, they won the national title that year at LSU. What if in the final four game, Joe Burrow, knowing in his mind he's going to be the number one pick, just says, you know what? I'm not playing the playoff. I'm just going to wait and be picked number one. Granted, the con- just the outrage that would cause, but... You can't blame him, right? What if he takes a wrong hit in that semifinal or in that final and his, his career is over at that point? It could happen. It's happened, Tom. We've seen it. Well, for that, you know, that shoot that, a drop. That's when, that's when it'll bother me. That's when this whole thing will bother me, Tim, if somebody starts taking off during playoff games. You know? Um, because of COVID, Penny Sewell took a whole year off, right? <laughs> so, you know, this, this idea of protecting yourself um, – you can't get pre- you cannot get preachy on these kids anymore because look, even the coaches are doing it. You know, look at Brian Kelly, right? I mean, Brian Kelly he's gone. Left what left over name who could have been in a college football player. So I think with the new world of college football, Tim, you have to look at it almost as a professional sport and not a college football sport anymore. Which is why, unfortunately, I think college football is in, in dire straits here, and they got to do something to kind of lure people back in. The NCAA realized this. And years ago with college basketball, decades ago now with college basketball, they fixed it and they were able to create the greatest postseason and the most entertaining postseason ever. Um, the college football playoff structure, the way that they're doing things, it has to be fixed. It has to do something else has to be done. And I fear that we're going to, you know, another division. It's going to be kind of, you know, the power five and then everyone else. It, it, it's almost inevitable. Let's shift gears over to college basketball real quick, Tom. And most teams hitting around that 10. That's, most teams right around that 10 game mark. So a little bit around a third of a season already done. And uh, just just a quick observation, Tommy. So still still some great basketball being played today. Kind of an upset Saturday. And uh, it, it kind of righted itself a little bit at the end of the day, Tom. But early early in the afternoon, you know, top rank top top four or five teams losing in, in their basketball games. Yes, I saw that. And not, forget about even the, the top teams, Tim. Teams like BYU lost, right? I mean, that you had uh, teams like that lost. But I, I got to tell you, Rutgers winning at home, you know, that was unbelievable. You look at look, you know, Seton Hall winning at home. You start to look at, you know, teams and you try to kind of figure some stuff out. You go, okay, what is it? Before the year began, we talked about this during the preview. And before the year began, we all, we all sat back, and I know me and you definitely went into great detail about it. Most of these teams last year um, had some weird things go on. Some conferences, like the Ivy League, didn't even play a season. Some of them, uh, I think it was uh, Oregon State, played you know, weird half seasons in 
They didn't do it. Pac-12 was off because of COVID. Uh, you know, the transfer portal went absolutely bonkers, right? We've never seen anything like it on the transfer portal. So I said in a preseason, and it's, it's something hard. I, I try to tell everybody, uh, you know, that possibly listens to me on anything that I do. It's very hard to stay with your commitment uh, as the season progresses. Before the year, we sat down and we said Try not to put any stock in what happens before January. Because with the portal, with the people moving over, with the coaching changes, with the, the time off, everyone's going to kind of be trying to find their way. And here we are in early December, and everyone's shocked that there's so, so much turmoil. People are just stunned about turmoil. But we said it before the year. It's a different thing to say before the year and say, okay, we've got to remember it. And then you get into it, you go, wow, this is, this is crazy. But we still have to remember, there is going to be craziness. There was going to always be, you know, things that didn't go the right way. There was always going to be some surprises and surprises because of all the outside factors. So, you know, Purdue loses at Rutgers. I'm not making too much of that, Tim. I'm not going crazy about that. You know, Seton Hall wins. I'm not going crazy. I'm not making too much about that. I'm not going to all of a sudden tell you how great the Big East is. Or yeah, I'm not going crazy. I'm not doing any of that. But it's kind of fun, isn't it? Isn't the craziness kind of fun? I just worry that everyone's going to kind of take too much of what's going on early and try to apply it, you know, after January. Yeah, no, no I totally agree. And I think, look... The more chaos there is early, it's it's a lot makes the season a lot fun a lot funner to watch. I'm not saying that I wasn't rooting for Gonzaga to go undefeated last year all the way, Tommy, because I thought it would be a great story for them to win that national title, be undefeated, and and you know what they got to the end and and they lost. But for me today, you know you see Kentucky go down, right, Tom? Um, top ten team there early in the morning upsets left and right you know you, you get out of bed on the west coast and um it's not it's not a matter of talking about just what happened preceding the days before you just said it purdue the number one team for a week after that uh, climbing to the to the top of the charts and then one game in their eye and we see that a lot in college basketball that the team that becomes the number one team doesn't stay in that position very long it's it's just time after time after time and, and you know there's some type of emotional letdown sometimes and that happens but but today even even UCLA struggled with a, with a tough Marquette team in the afternoon Big East on is the pretty good. I, I know it's yeah. early the East is, is showing up pretty good no no doubt about it Alabama squeezed by Houston that was a great game to watch I don't know if you saw that one but Alabama Houston was a really good basketball game to watch but uh, you know I look at like tomorrow here's a perfect example so Baylor, last year's champions, has an opportunity to be the number one team in the country, Tom, right? They have a, a big game tomorrow against a team you and I both love to watch in Villanova. And I, I'm kind of peeking at the Wildcats tomorrow. Yeah, look, you know, again, this is – I try to stay away from the high-profile games. That, that Houston-Alabama game uh, was going to be a classic anything. And, and you're right, looking at tomorrow, that could be, that could be an interesting game. What, what's, your, uh, what's your verdict on that one? Well, this one, um, this one's at Baylor. That that's that's the thing that keeps me off Villanova. What are we at? Four, five? Is that that's what the line is, right? Yeah. the 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 fact that it's at ba- in Baylor at Baylor, it it might leave me off Villanova to to win this one. But 
initially I had circled Villanova. I, I think I think Baylor finds a way to win it and and becomes the number one team in the country. Had it been on the road, it's a completely different story. But Baylor's pretty pretty damn good in Waco. Yeah, yeah. Look, I didn't believe in Baylor before the year began. I'm a little down on Baylor. Just overall, I thought they had to take a step back. So I mean, you know, it's going to be hard to change my opinion on that. Uh, but they could go a long way by doing it tomorrow. Yeah. And if Villanova wins, Tom, I'm not surprised because we sat on this show and talked about how deep Villanova is. And again, you want to go X's and O's. You and I are in agreement that nobody's better than Jay Wright. So I would stay off the game myself. I, I want to see Villanova win this game. I'm just trying to look at it more from the analytical point of view. Well, the thing, the thing with Jay Wright is that he knows how to build his team as the year goes on and then excel late. If Jay Wright loses this game, he's not going to be overly disappointed. You know, he, this is kind of one of those building games. But they do have what I believe is going to be the best player on the court in Gillespie, and that is a difference maker. So before we take the first time out, let's, real quick, local team in action today. The, the uh, UNLV Rebels, Tom, improved to 6-5 and five with a dominant victory over Hartford over at the Mandalay Bay Events Center. So they played two games there this week. They win both of them. And uh, the all of a sudden, the Rebels are back over 500. Tommy, 6-5. and five. Everything's back on track. Tournament, here we come. Yeah, Hartford's awful. <laughs> Don't make anything into this. I have uh, been following this for quite some time. And, and yeah, this conference, Hartford is the worst in a, a pretty weak conference year after year. Uh, they're a horrible team. I'm surprised they didn't lose by 50 tonight. So don't make too much out of that. I know you made a little money betting on UNLV over Seattle. UNLV is that team right now. They're going to beat the teams, I guess, that you should say, quote-unquote, they're supposed to beat. And they're going to lose to the teams that they're supposed to lose to. It's the games where, you know what, you got to win a couple games that you're not supposed to win. And don't drop any games that you're, you are supposed to I think this is the same UNLV team, uh, despite all the results that we see, two, two wins in a row. Oh, this is great. I think it's the same exact team that we always knew that they were. I, th- I think for me, and that was the reason why I liked them against Seattle. And what was funny was when I texted you, I said, Tom, I just bet UNLV minus four against Seattle. Did I Did I just waste my money? And, and You know, jokingly, you, you said exactly what needed to be said. You're like, they need to win the game. They should win and cover, but Seattle's kind of dangerous, right? And it was tight early, but, you know, we kind of pulled away, which we knew they were going to do again today, again, a team that they – a 1-8 team, right? So that game they should have won. It wasn't who they were beating. It was who they were losing to and how they were losing, you know, double-digit point spread. So even coming up, Nebraska-Omaha is a win on Wednesday. San Diego should be a win the following week before they enter – Mountain West play, so you know, look, the Rebels are the Rebels. The thing that bothered me today about this game was, and we'll get to the attendance in a minute, but they scored 95 points, Tom. Two of two players, though, scored 60 of those. That's a problem for me, that only 35 points came from the rest of the team, including the scrub bench guys that got playing time today, so if your offense, if offense is going through two guys, that doesn't bode well come Mountain West playtime. No, not at all. And I think that that was the problem. But here's the thing. Those two guys running that offense can be quite a few teams in the Mountain West, right, Tim? 
I mean, you could beat the Air Forces with that. You you could beat quite a few teams like that. It's can they go up and they beat a San Diego State like that? Can they beat a Boise State with that? No, they can't. So, you know, teams that are one-dimensional, or in this case you could say two-dimensional, but, you know, teams that are, are, we'll say, have a a big flaw, uh, teams that have a noticeable flaw, um, they can get exposed by better teams. We, uh, again, I'll go revert back to the Army-Navy game that we watched today. Army's a good team on the year, but they cannot throw the ball. Okay, All year long, teams that could exploit that can't exploit that, but you have to be better than Army to kind of exploit that. When you look at UNLV, they're going to be able to beat the lesser teams because those lesser teams are not going to be able to stop the one-two punch. The one-two punch sounds good, right? But the one-two punch going up against a better quality opponent is just going to be destined for problems. And I think you're right. That is definitely UNLV type problems. Wednesday, and by the way, the Rebels are playing at Mandalay Bay because the National Finals Rodeo is in town, taking up the Thompson Mack Center. So when the teams, when uh, the Rebels return to action Wednesday against Nebraska Omaha at the Thompson Mack, I'm sure the you'll need the air fresheners out for that one, Tom. But the the thing I saw Wednesday. And we were joking about it because somebody had tweeted the the stand. The, the, uh, what was it? Minutes before tip off, and it it was a uh, empty. And we had talked about. Yeah, the, it was, said, yeah. I, I would be hard pressed to say that there was hundred people there. Right, right. You, I think you said something like jokingly it was five hundred. I said actually, Tom, it was three hundred. Somebody counted during the game how many people were actually in the seats, and we don't even know how many of those were media because a lot of the media went obviously. So. They win that game, and then the promotion comes out the next day that they're giving away free tickets for Saturday's game against uh, today against Hartford. And then you sent me a direct message of I, I swore it was the same picture from the from Wednesday of the stands before tip off. Granted, the uh, later photos I saw there were a little more people, but Tom, I didn't even see an, uh, somebody saying attendance. Maybe if Chris wins listening, he can give us that. He was at the game today, but even with free tickets. Uh, Tom, it wasn't much better, man. It wasn't much better at all. No, not at all. I mean, and that's the problem with UNLV. Here's the thing. You don't, you don't have an identity. And that's something I've been talking about for a while, right? If you are a terrible team, but you have some reason, some identity to come out, people might still come out. You know, if your team is losing, and we know this happens in college basketball, your team is losing, but I'm 90 every night, right? And they just, they just have no defense. They're giving up 95, okay? Or they're putting up 80. Well, you know what? You, you can drag some people there. You can kind of convince some people to come on out to that, to watch that. If your team is a massively great defensive team, a defensive battling type of team, and you know no one is scoring 60 on them, maybe you get people to come out for that. How about if you have a high flyer, crazy one player, oh, man, you know what? Everybody loves him in the country. Okay, you get people to come out for that. You get people to come out for a variety of reasons. What I've been saying for years is that UNLV doesn't have an image. They don't have anything. I don't know them for their offense. I don't know them for their defense. I don't know them for their coach. I don't know them for their their antics. I don't know them for their shooting. I don't know them for their their uh, you know one star player. I don't know them even even Vegas Golden Knights. And I know this is going to hurt to hear to Vegas fans. Um, people still don't really overly care about the Knights. But the one thing that everybody loves is oh that's cool the ice show right. They they have something. Everybody has something. 
UNLV hasn't had that something since we've been on the air, Tim. They haven't had that something in basically a decade. They haven't had that. Give me what, what are you? What team are you? Who are you? And you need that in all sports. You need to tell me who you are. And UNLV still doesn't know. They have an image problem. I don't, I don't know if you checked out the Big 12 uh, standings, Tom, but the guy that had the connection here with UNLV the last few years, Mr. TJ Otzelberger, has the Cyclones at 9-0 right now. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's not him, I guess, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. We, we can keep blaming you know, all these uh, coaches that, that – Come in, leave, there's a problem. And look, I didn't think he was you know, very good anyway, but we can keep doing all this. It is a culture problem. It is a UNLV problem. And what you need to solve that is you need something you know, big. Uh, look, go back and think about, um, you know, since we're going to talk about uh, Jacksonville in a minute, think about the Jacksonville Jaguars. Their culture is losing. But the one winning year that they had, they literally almost went to the Super Bowl, Tim. What did they do? They just became... Defense, 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 and more defense. It was just that's all they were. Now they go and draft Trevor Lawrence. And we made a, a, a point. Look, Trevor Lawrence had to go to Jacksonville no matter what. Obviously, they needed a quarterback, but he also was he was new feeling in Jacksonville. Well, Urban Meyer's now taking over, and Urban Meyer is kind of what that team is. You start to become that. This team, UNLV, was never Coach O, right? It, it was never Coach O. It was never Dave Wright. It, it was never any of these, these guys. It was never many. It was never that. They need to go out there and change what the perception is. They need to go out there. You know, we heard, oh, don't worry. We're going we're gonna to change the opposite. We're gonna change. No, no, no. You need to go out there. Show me who you are. I really want to know. Listen, we don't give out the phone number a million times because we're not a, a massive call-in show. But 876-1340, somebody call me up and tell me what the image of UNLV is right now. UNLV basketball. Who are they? Right? Who, when I think of UNLV basketball, what do I think of? Don't tell me championship, uh, you know, 30 years or something, okay? Who, who is UNLV basketball today? Because I don't know. Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton, Heat Wave Sports, Saturday Night Las Vegas. And when we come back from the timeout, the mess in Jacksonville continues to get... Bigger and bigger, yet Urban Meyer most likely will be coming back next season. Tommy and I will break it down on the other side. It's E-Wave Sports. It's Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Before we jump into Week 14 preview of the NFL, we'll we'll, st- we'll start with the NFL here and, and continue on into Hour 2 as we get you ready for Sunday NFL action. But, Tommy, the, the Urban Meyer situation has was, from the start, even on this show, criticized uh, Khan, the owner of the Jaguars, for this decision. And, and look, whether he's an NFL coach or not, he's he's definitely not making this. It, it doesn't look good, right? So he gets hired beginning of the year. Um, so the beginning of the summer, 
He violates an NFL rules about team activities. Then, as a C, uh, they lose their first four games, right, Tom? And he's seen <laughs> on videos getting lap dances in bars. Guy's a married man. It wasn't his wife that was doing this. And it can't be the, the off the field stuff. He had to come out. He came out and apologized to the team and, and the and the, uh, the players. And we just didn't really hear too much personal stuff, other than they just completely stunk on the football field, right? You, you sandwich that with what's happening now, in that uh, there's a problem with Marvin Jones, and there's a problem of, with him basically calling his assistant coaches losers. Then the whole James Robinson benching fiasco. I, I mean, it's it's just become this this huge huge ordeal, Tom. Yet the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars comes out and says that most likely he's the coach next year. What's going on here? Well, let's, let's address a couple of things here. Um, first and foremost, the vaunted job security. I wouldn't read too much into that, right? Um, we've heard a million times that that's kind of the kiss of death in some, some spots, Tim, right? Where, oh yeah, don't worry, he's going to be my guy, and then two weeks later he's gone. Um, I think Khan is trying to kind of double down. You know, this is a guy he picked. He knows he's got to stick with him for the rest of the year. So, you know, all right, I'll stick with him. And make him make me fire him sort of thing. Um, I'm hoping. Because if he's sticking with him, despite everybody understanding that Herbert Meyer is an after year, then he's a problem. Um, the Meyer situation, look, you know, grabbing butts and that isn't your wife and all that. We don't like the guy. He's a jerk off of, of camera, we'll say. Uh, we all knew that. He's not a good dude. I mean, there's a million things that we knew about him that are coming to fruition, okay? But the one thing I didn't know about him was how horrible of a person he could be, you know, to his staff and players and everything else. I've heard rumors, but this is it. Look, the, the story of James Robinson, uh, I touched on my podcast show. You guys can go check it out. Believe in betting over on the podcast network. Um, and I touched on that this week, and I said, you know, listen, James Robinson is a guy that should have been running the ball all the time. I mean, and he benched, he just flat out benched what is basically your best player. That's one thing. Trevor Lawrence defending James Robinson is the ripple effect, though. Because Trevor Lawrence is the future of your team, not you, Urban Meyer. You know, that, as much as Urban Meyer wants to believe he is, no, 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 this is, this is Trevor Lawrence's show. And then you go down the line, and you go one of the more respected receivers in the league in Marvin Jones, a very soft wide receiver as far as speaking goes. He's not a diva. Almost walked out of the arena, out of the uh, practice facility, and went home because he couldn't stand Myers in the way that he was doing things, disrespecting people. So we hear disrespecting players. Disrespecting James Robinson, disrespecting coaches. By the way, he stood up in front of the room, called all of his assistant coaches losers, and said, "I'm a winner." So he disrespects his, his coworkers. He disrespects his players, his coaches. He's disrespecting his wife in full view of everybody. This is a pattern of behavior, Tim. It's not well. This guy, you know, had a one-off, or well, you know what? There's two sides to every story. No, this is a pattern of disrespecting everyone around you. Urban Meyer's had it before, and he's getting there again. There are certain college coaches, and there are just certain coaches that are just not built for the NFL. And Urban Meyer is not built for the NFL. When they drafted Trevor Lawrence, I said, 
man, you know what? And, and then Meyer came. Uh, Meyer came. On. I, I, I sat back and me and you were on the air, and I said, I just hope that Urban Meyer doesn't ruin Trevor Lawrence. That was my one, my one thing. Just, just don't ruin him. And I worry that he could ruin him now. The idea that, you know, this rookie quarterback had to pick up for his best player, you know, running back, it's just turmoil. It's overall turmoil. I don't think Tom's going to fire him. I get it. Uh, you're not going to fire him now. It doesn't do any good. But I don't think that Meyer's going to last very long. And, and, you know, you look at Urban Meyer and you go, there's no way he can. But Tim, he didn't take the USC job. Tim, he didn't take the Notre Dame job. He didn't take the LSU job. He didn't take one of these big-time jobs. So what options does Urban Meyer have, you know, Where's he going to go? He's not going back to television immediately. He's not going to leave this job for. There's, there's too much respect there from Khan for whatever reason to uh, to Urban, where he's not going to just fire him and just not have anything. So he's going to have to give him a, a kind of a push in one direction or not. Is this the push, Tim? I'm not sure, but it certainly sounds like it. I think the problem is. And again, you know, with owners, we've seen is that how involved they are with their franchises goes a long way in determining the decisions sometimes that are made. And maybe you're right. Maybe, hey, let's get through the season. I'm going to give him the the proverbial uh, vote of confidence, and then offseason I'm going to fire his ass, right? But this firing, right, Tom, this isn't, uh, hey, you're fired. It's not going to cost me anything. It's like he makes $12 million a year and has a long-term contract. So I don't know what the buyout is or the, the agreement would be, but it, it was just going to cost Con a pretty penny to move Urban Meyer at this point. I just don't know if you could – here's the thing. I don't yeah, – you look at the team. Who are the Jacksonville Jaguars on you know, when you sit back and you go on the field? Trevor Lawrence is your future. James Robinson is your, your best player. Marvin Jones is your team leader. You have managed to go out there and piss off all three of them, right? I mean, how do you, if you're con, how do you look at the team? How do you look at the assistant coaches? How, what kind of mass exodus exit of assistant coaches are going to be there, Tim? Right? I mean, you have to think that all of these head coaches are going to go off and just go, you know, why would I be there? Why, all these assistants, why would I be with this head coach? Why would I be with this guy? sometimes these guys are their their own worst geniuses right if in my mind if if Jacksonville used James Robinson which we saw last year especially towards the end of the season really come out why wouldn't he be used Tommy like a like a Jonathan Taylor's used in Indianapolis and that would help have Lawrence progress you know and not have to take all this pressure of being the number one pick in the rookie quarterback Use him like John Taylor. He's built to do that. He can put in the, the time, Tom. He's young. He's he's, uh, he's he's a burly guy, and he's fast. Uh, that That's the game plan I look at. I look at Taylor. I look at Robinson. I said, those guys could be the same. Well, not only that, but, you know, if you just turn around and you say, okay, I got myself a franchise quarterback, what are the three things that a franchise quarterback needs? Like you said, consistency in the running. Get, get the running game going. So take all the pressure off of his shoulders. You want a big-time left tackle, right? You definitely have to have that to protect him, and you have to have a reliable tight end catching the ball out of the backfield. I thought Jacksonville, right around midseason, had learned their lesson. Early on, look, they came out of the gate. They were letting Lawrence throw it all over the field. Now, what did they do in the middle of the season? 
all right, James Robinson, they started feeding him a lot. They went out, they got themselves a tight end in a trade, and I said, okay, things are going to be fixed. And now Urban Meyer's kind of going back to his ways of just saying, you know what, I'm going to do it my way. And this is where somebody that has massive success at this level, massive success in coaching, maybe not in the NFL, doesn't matter, in coaching, he's not going to change. He's not going to flow with it. Look at Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick has moved and flowed and changed his team and changed his direction over and over and over and over and over again. Because you have to do it. Some coaches, the best coaches, do it in the middle of the game, Tim. Right in the middle of the game. Well, you know what? Tim, this game plan, I'm going to switch it up to this game plan. You hear that happen in the game itself with Urban Meyer. He's going down. He's going down with the ship. And he's going, you know what? I've had too much success running my way. I'm going to do it my way. And guess what? His way doesn't work. You, you you agree if I say that he's fired off season, they're gonna they're gonna make the change, right? I don't think there's any chance he comes back, but I'm not gonna use the word fired, Tim, because we know Urban Meyer leaves with mysterious reasons, right? I mean he's left with mysterious reasons before. and let me just concoct it. I know we have to go to a break in a minute. Let me just concoct a, a little scenario. You know. It, well, you know, I tried, tried the NFL in the uh, you know, offseason. Me and my wife decided that I'm going to take some time away from the game. I want to reconnect with her. The NFL was a great opportunity. I want to thank Mr. Khan. But the reality is, is that I got away from coaching to spend more time with my family, and I realized how much I missed it. How's that work for you, Tim? It's a believable story, right? I mean, we all just saw what he did to his wife. It's a believable story. And you save the, the idea of him being fired. So I will not say that he's necessarily fired, but I will say he doesn't return. And you use that to kind of rebuild the character. And at the same time, behind closed doors, there's already a, a pre-made deal between Khan and Meyer on a buy on a, some type of a contract buyout. Yeah, I, I could see him. Well, you know, he's going to stay with the organization. They'll stay with the team in some capacity. He'll be the scouting director, you know, at some time. And, well, I want to still have a piece of this team. You know, it would look, they did that with Coughlin for so long. So, it, you know, it's not unlike Jacksonville to do that, kind of keep him around, but he doesn't have to deal with the players. I just can't imagine that Khan can look at his players that he put this much of an investment into, specifically Trevor Lawrence, and say, I'm bringing this guy back. It's not a Lawrence against him problem. This is Trevor Lawrence has an opportunity to make your franchise mean something, and we're going to bring him back now. You can't, you can't do it. Yeah, you, you said it best. If you, and Jones, okay, look, Jones a little longer in the tooth than the other. But the other two guys, that's the core of your not only your franchise but your offense. You cannot bring uh, that that dumpster fire back. I mean, this season's done, right? They might not win another game, Tom, but and that's probably best if they don't actually. We don't we don't need to see them all of a sudden go on a run here at the end of the year, right, Tommy, and finish six and twelve or something and oh well, they won they won four of their last six, so what what are we really gonna do here? Best if they just keep losing and then it just makes the whole thing easier and then uh the thing you didn't want was him to ruin Lawrence and then Lawrence have to deal with another coach. But that that obviously has to be the way it has to be. Yeah, listen, I keep saying that I want Nagy fired in Chicago, and I want Brian Dable. Why? Because Brian Dable comes from Buffalo. He really fixed Josh Allen. Everybody had a million questions about him. Imagine what Brian Dable could do with Trevor Lawrence, guys. Right? Think about that. What, 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 would, what would Brian Dable do for Trevor Lawrence? 
so it starts to get interesting if you go out there and you get the one thing about my, uh, Urban Meyer that we you know questioned was his ability to work with the NFL unit. What you question about a guy like a Brian Dable, for example, is not the quarterback. So the one thing you can secure is that your offense will be good, but your quarterback will grow into you know the phenom that I think that he hope I think we all think that he can be. Well, you know what? That makes your team relevant. We were just talking about the UNLV angle. Makes your team relevant, Tim, and it gives you something. All of a sudden, they are trustworthy. Tommy Barton, TomBartonSports.com, Tim Unglesby, Hour 1, coming to a close as we come back. Yes, we'll get you ready for Week 14 in the NFL. We're going to kick things off with the Las Vegas Raiders as they head to Kansas City for a tough AFC West matchup and trying to redeem that blowout that they suffered at the hands of the Chiefs here in Las Vegas just a few short weeks ago. And remember, the free plays coming up in the end of hour two as well stay tuned it's e-wave sports it's saturday night it's fox sports radio coming down the proverbial home stretch of the nfl season as we work at week 14 there's 18 weeks this season and we're starting to see the playoff teams uh, jumbled up, right, Tom? You, you know, you got the seeding literally changes almost every week. And then there's a group of teams, as we see every year, battling for those final spots. And we're going to see some separation here in the next few weeks. But before we get into the schedule, you know, we always talk about we give out a free play every week, obviously, both of us. And uh, you and I talk separately about prop plays and you know, where the we're easy. I, I say it's easy money sometimes because when you really scour them, Tom, they're, they're, they haven't caught on, I think, the books on some of them. So uh, I wanted to give out one of my free plays for this or prop plays for this week that doesn't count for, towards our record. I was wondering if you had your eye on, on a, any, uh, let's say, let's say for sure winners over at the prop side of it. Well, you know, I, I can't, can't say, say for sure winners, but <laughs> I, this is my uh, lightest prop play week that I've ever had. And so I'll tell you who I like. I like Chuba Hubbard to have a good game tomorrow. Um, you know, not to get way too into it, but I think that Carolina, they fired their offensive coordinator. We've heard a million times Matt Rule say he just wants to run the football. I think that they're going to take the bye week and come out and just run it, run it all day. And you are looking at a very, very, very tasty number for Chuba Hubbard. I've seen it at 55, 56 rushing yards. Yeah, I'll take that all day. Um, I also uh, I'm looking at uh, that's, a, that's that's one that I'll go on Hubbard for that and for carries. I've seen the carries sitting there at about ten or eleven. I think that's a great great spot. Yeah, I'll go up to like fifteen with that. Um, and then I like Antonio Gibson. Antonio Gibson is finally healthy. He is rolling in the right direction. Antonio Gibson, I like him for uh, the rushing yard side of it. But if you want to keep an eye on McKissick, if McKissick isn't 100%, you might want to go two yards on him, but I like the rushing yards. Rushing yards, Tim, you can get a 57 right now. He's not as low as 55. So Hubbard and Gibson are my two big plays for tomorrow. So out here, right, Tom, if you're using the app, sometimes, or apps, let me they say plurally, sometimes you actually have to wait till hour or two before the games to get 
a full line of of prop plays. And then there's some that just some games obviously they don't they don't uh, put anything up but past your first half, second half total point totals and everything like that. And then like for the Sunday night, Monday nights you you get a, a larger card. And then going to the books a little bit different. I mean there's there's more plays available at the book, but it's not like where you are at and you just have like this lineage of a prop place for every game. I mean, it's it's completely different for you out there. I think you have definite advantage, which is why seeing Atlantic City become number one, not Las Vegas. Yeah, and why in the next uh, thirty days, probably um, I might I might say the next fifty days, uh, New York will become and overtake Atlantic City. They will overtake Pennsylvania, and New York City will be the epitome and the the center of the sports betting world. Uh, they're going out here and they're saying that very short order. Um, Joseph Adabo has said in New York that don't do not expect it by the new year, um, but they absolutely will have it up and running by Super Bowl. They want to have a couple of weeks to prepare before time. So Tim, I'm thinking 30 days it's going to start to become available in New York. You're right. There are certain things. Look, Vegas is still the destination to go to. Vegas has a lot more than just sports betting. Uh, they're doing things right. I mean, look at the circuit. Unbelievable what they've done there. Oh, so what is the advantage that they're going to have? Well, you know what? Right now, New Jersey, you have the prop plays. What is New York? What kind of wrinkle is New York going to come into? You know, so I think we're going to see even more prop plays, Tim. I think we're going to see even crazier type of, of situation. Some books, like you said, they only have a couple of things here and there. Now, I could get carried. I have to go searching for it, but I could get carried tomorrow. They have alternate prop plays on some of these off shows. I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing that. So the prop play market... Has always been good to me, but it's been especially good since this has all opened up. Because if you don't, uh, if you don't mind going and wasting hours and hours and hours of your day, kind of going through stuff, then you can certainly find mistakes. I'll give you the prop I'm looking at tomorrow. I like in the 49er Bengal game. I like Jamar Chase over 62 yards receiving, and I know he's kind of hit this proverbial rookie wall, right, Tom? He's in game uh, 13, and by then his college season's generally over. But I think you'll see they look kind of renewed last week. I think the Bengals did against the Chargers, even though they, they didn't come up uh, on the winning side of that. But I think Chase Chase exposes San Francisco a little bit tomorrow. I think he can get over 63 yards. What do you think? Yeah, that's, that's not, not a bad, bad one. Higgins is somebody that you look at also. T. Higgins has been massively underrated for a little while. And, and you know, the, the other probably I'm looking at, Tim, what about the, at plus money? I started plus 110, Josh Allen, two passing touchdowns. I think they might win that game tomorrow, actually, Tom. I know we'll get to it, but I, I kind of look at them like they're in prime spot to win that game straight out. Yeah, well, they're not going to run. I mean, they're not running on the no. team, you know? So. No, no. If if you like Higgins and you like Burr or uh, Chase, what about Burrow over 255 yards passing? I mean, wouldn't you have to go that route as well? I wouldn't just because they've been leaning on Mixon so much. I know he's been banged up, but they've been leaning on Mixon so much. And, and while, you know, no one's kind of going to say this about Joe Burrow, what he's becoming is he is uh, dependent upon the team. If they find early running success, Burrow could throw for 210 and three touchdowns, you know, and just throw the touchdowns late in the game. That's the only reason that I worry about his over. But I think you're probably in the right mindset. 
Um, the other thing is going up against a running team. That always concerns me as well. Because you go up against a running team, there's not many possessions. Yeah. So you like Chase over rather than Burrow over, if we're going to go that route. Yeah, I'll take the receivers. Because, look, look, receiver just needs to break one. You know, so I'll take the receivers over instead of the Burrow. And 255 is starting to get a little bit high. I mean, it's probably a good look. You know, and here's something else you can't do. I, you know, I wonder what the odds would be. I'm trying to try to think in my head. It probably would be plus about 450 or so. How about Higgins, Burrow, and Chase all over in a parlay? Okay. You yeah, know, I don't like do parlay. But a prop parlay would be pretty fun. You can do that. We can't do that out here, Tom. No, you can't. <laughs> Let's take a look at this week 14 schedule. Start with the Vegas Raiders as they head to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs in a 10 o'clock game. So, Tommy, this line at 10 now for KC. Um, they're 8-4. and four. They won five in a row, including a just a complete dismantling of the Vegas team here at Allegiant Stadium, 41-14, about a month ago. The Raiders going the other way. They've lost four or five. And for all the Raider fans that were back on the wagon after the win Thanksgiving against Dallas, they put up 36 points. They they come back next week, last week here at Allegiant Stadium, and put up 15 points. So the Raiders we've seen the last few years are, are the Raiders we're seeing right now in a game where... I'm not going to say they're eliminated from the playoffs, Tom, but it probably takes, uh, if you're looking at steps forward towards that, that goal of not being in the playoffs, a loss tomorrow definitely puts them there. Yeah, you know, look, I think that the Raiders have been a little bit of a mirage most of the year. Uh, but where you say, you know what, they'll be a step out of the playoffs, still 10-point underdog in a divisional game. Now, here's the problem. There is no waller, we understand that. Um, Kansas City's let up nine points to Denver the Cowboys. They've let up 11 points through the last five-game winning streak. And you go, okay, so can they get it done with just defense alone? They have no more scoring defense in the last two months. There's a lot to like here about the Chiefs. The biggest thing for me, though, is that I expect Patrick Mahomes to eventually break out of this thing. And the last time in the Week 9 matchup, Patrick Mahomes broke out through for 400 yards and five touchdowns. This is a game where, you know, you know how desperate this Raiders team is, and it just might not matter because the Chiefs are just playing really, really well all over the place in every facet right now. The only thing that's actually missing is that breakout by Patrick Mahomes, which we actually just saw him do against this team in the best game of the year against this team. You said you said it best. They can't run the ball. Josh Jacobs is not the answer right now. Carr's getting the blame for it. He's looked like crap the last couple of weeks, and that includes the Thanksgiving. I don't think he was uh, – he wasn't Tom Brady in the, in the Thanksgiving Day game, Tom. He, he looked – yeah, granted, in the second half he looked really good, but you come back with an effort like he did last week, you know, and it's easy to put the blame on him. I think he has to share that blame, but it's just a team in chaos, and this is uh, this is what we called, right? We called this before any of the chaos began, Tom. There's just something about this Raider team and that false start that they had where they were 4-1 and one that just didn't sit right, and this is the uh, repercussions. I mean, you can say it's the Gruden thing. You can say it's the Ruggs thing. Look, every team goes through... through uh, they don't have that coach. No, they have a special teams coach. There's no coaching experience. 
Nice guy, right? That's what they, that's the thing they say about this guy out here in Vegas. Oh, he's a nice guy. That, that doesn't really say much. Yeah. <laughs> when, when people, people say, say nice, nice guy, guy about a head coach, Tim, I think it's the same way uh, that I always say about politics. Okay? And I'm not getting political here, but it, it is. It's about politics. I don't – people got you know – I'm going to vote for the president because I want to have a beer with that guy. I don't want to have a beer with that I've had beers with a lot of people, and I like a lot of people I've had beers with. None of them were fit to run the country, right? I mean, I don't want to have to have a beer with that guy. I don't want a nice guy as my head coach. I want a winner. And you're right. Look, he's just not a head coach. They don't have the game plan. My thing is this is that this is a 10-point spread of people going, oh, it's kind of, it's kind of too much, right? The 10-point spread is almost a little too, too big. It's a little too much. And maybe it's dangerous. I'm going... Imagine if Thanksgiving didn't happen. Take away the Thanksgiving game, the most watched game in the NFL in the last 20 years. Take that away. What kind of perception would we have in this Raiders game? Right? The sky is falling. This is awful. Oh, my God. Everything is coming down to it, and they're going to lose by third. But because they had that one kind of good game, that one, all of a sudden, what happened? Well, you know what? There's a little, there's a little hope in Maybe Carr could elevate them. There's a little bit. you got to just take it away and just say that. That's kind of the fluky game. New Orleans at the Jets tomorrow. The Saints five-and-a-half-point favorites over the New Jersey Jets. Tommy, the Saints have lost five in a row. I know there's some injury issues there, but it looks like Kamara is a go tomorrow. The Jets, three and nine, and it just seems like any time – that somebody starts to break out on the Jets, right, Tommy? It started with Corey Davis earlier in the year. Then it was Michael Carter. Now it's Elijah. Or, uh, yeah, Elijah, the, the wide receiver. He's not playing now. He's out. Anytime that a, a star star, or a player starts to break out, the, the injury bug hits them, and the Jets can't find themselves. So a, fi- a team on a five-game losing streak, a almost touchdown favorite on the road. The Jets ranked 30th in the NFL in run defense, Tim. 30. Okay, they allow 133 yards per game. So think about that for a moment. Without Alvin Kamara, I all of a sudden was saying, you know, this is a little dangerous. But now Kamara is in there. So you have Kamara coming back. The Saints are desperate, trying to get a playoff spot. What do you think the game plan's going to be tomorrow against the 30th ranked defense in the NFL, right? It's just going to be run, 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 and run some more. Now, I cannot lay these points, even against the Jets. Can't lay these points on the road with the Saints team. It looks like they're starting Trevor Simeon in his 57% completion percentage, but I certainly don't think that the Jets are going to put up much of a fight. I just think it could be one of those ugly, nasty games where the Saints are kind of in control, but they never really pull away. It wouldn't shock me to see a 2017 win, right? And all of a sudden you go, what was that all about? You know, 20, 20 to 10 and a late touchdown by Wilson to try to make him uh, you know, feel good about himself. Elijah Moore is out of this game, though, so that kind of leads me to feel more comfortable with the, the Saints. But I don't like either team here. To me, you cannot bet on the Jets in this game, not with their injuries and, and what they're going up against. But I have a hard time just running to the ticket window and betting on the Saints here, too. Yeah. yeah. Stay, I stay off this one, and I think that's the, the route you're, you're going as well. San Francisco, we just talked, kind of talked about these this uh, – Cincinnati team. San Francisco, Cincinnati at Cincy. So the line originally opened the Bengals two and a half point favorite. This shifted to the Niners two. Tommy, your thoughts on this one? This is uh, almost uh, the game of the day, right? I mean, this is a spot where if Cincinnati wins, 
we need to start talking about Cincinnati as one of the best teams in the AFC. I mean, we got to start talking about Cincinnati. This could very well be a first-place Cincinnati team. If they lose and San Francisco wins, now we got to start having that conversation about San Francisco of, okay, are they a playoff team? With a loss, I don't want to say San Francisco is eliminated, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for me to take them serious. And it's the same thing with Cincinnati. Every time it seems Cincinnati kind of takes that shot up, all of a sudden they back and they come back to the pack, and then they just don't look good. So this is the consistency thing. I think that both of these teams have the ability to not only make the playoffs, but make some noise in the playoffs. I think both of them have underrated defenses. I think both of them have to run the ball all day long. I know you like Burrow. I know you like Chase. I know you like Higgins and Boyd. I know that. But this team performs best when Joe Mixon is running and running effectively. That is not always the case. And where we sit right now... You know, the Bengals are the best, and the Niners are the best, where they are just running the ball. This is a separation game. Like I said, it might be the game of the day. I know everyone's going to look at, uh, you know, obviously Buffalo and, and Tampa as the game of the day, but this might be the game of the day when it all comes down to it. I would never go near this game. I think it's about a one-point spread to me. It should be under a, a field goal spread. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some overtime. I think these are very evenly matched teams. The only advantage I'm going to say is that Cincinnati is at home, but the weather's not supposed to be a problem. We know Shanahan's okay playing on the East Coast, so, ah, man, I, you know, let me say this again. I am not betting this game. I'll, I'll say that say San Fran gets a very, very close close win just because they're playing at just a little bit tad better right now. And I don't know who could stop George Kittle. Kittle might be worth a couple of uh, bucks on a prop play as well. I was going to say, with the Niners, Kittle healthy, a completely different team. The problem now is that the other Elijah Mitchell's out, right? So that leaves you, who does that leave you with? And no Debo. Yes, Debo's out too, correct? Yes. Yeah, so Debo out last week, they lose. And, and the guy that really started that winning streak for Frisco to get back up to 500 uh, out again this week as well. And, and Garoppolo, again, right, Tom, he's... He's such an enigma of, of sometimes going the other way. It's hard to, to bet on Jimmy Garoppolo. It, it's hard. It, it is. You know, I think that this is this. And, but it's the same thing with Cincinnati, though, Tim. You know, mix and miss time this week. Um, you look at Cincinnati and you go, you know, they've been a little bit banged up. I know Justin Bates doing just a little bit of time. And fully healthy, I think San Francisco wins this game. Um, with the banged up issues from both of the Maybe you got me changing my mind out of this day. This is why I'm not touching the game, Tim. I'm not going anywhere near this one. Jacksonville at the Tennessee Titans. So we were looking at a matter of time with Tennessee. You lose Derrick Henry. Brown out extended period of time. Position Jones went out before that. And that great start that the Titans got out to, Tommy, it's starting to, to crumble away. Now losers of two straight, they've, they've dropped to eight and four, and here come the Colts who, after a slow start, have pulled within a game and a half of Tennessee at seven and six. So tomorrow for the Titans against a Jacksonville team, they should they should beat, right? You talk about a Jacksonville with the problem of scoring points here. Tennessee, they are an eight and a half point favorite at home you would think this is a game they should win, Tom, but again, the running back position is, is uh, there's nobody there. Brown is not playing. Jones is back, but who knows what that's going to be with, with him missing so much time. 
there's a lot of problems in this game for Tennessee, but it's a game they should win. They have to win this game. Uh, Rabel is 3-0 and coming off of a bye week, and that's the difference here. You know, I could talk, be talked into all day long. I could be talked into the idea that it, the spread is too high and Jacksonville could play tough and we get all that. But, but flat out, who do you want, Urban Meyer or Mike Rabel off of a bye? I'm taking Rabel all day. We talked a lot about my problems with Urban Meyer. We talked a lot about, you know, what the Jacksonville Jaguars were, or in this case, weren't and aren't. But this all comes down to my belief that Mike Rabel, especially after, after a bye week, is the guy here to come away with a win. Is it going to be a devastating win? I'm not sure. I don't know if I can go out there and say that, especially in a divisional game. Divisional game coming up next, AFC North. And this is the, the uh, ups and downs of the NFL. Tom Baltimore in Cleveland to take on the Browns. Game opened originally Baltimore 1. Now the Brownies, a field goal favorite. And in this one, we just saw these two teams play two weeks ago on Sunday Night Football. I, I called it one of the ugliest football games I've seen all year, in which Baltimore won 16-10 to at home. Since then, Cleveland's taken a, a week off. Baltimore came back, Tom, against Pittsburgh and looked just absolutely, in my mind, is worse than the week before. They were atrocious in that loss, a game that they probably should have won at the end. If Lamar, who's not looked good at all the last, we're almost going on a month now, Tom, that Lamar struggled here. So the ups and downs in the NFL season, but I think we both like the Ravens tomorrow without, with all that being said. Tim, the Ravens um, are sitting here. Neither one of these teams have scored more than 20 points in a month. Jackson has eight interceptions in the past four games. Okay, This guy is just a disaster right now. I thought, okay, I'm going all in on Baltimore. Once Jack Conklin was named out, he's going to be out for, for the, the Browns. But Tim, Marlon Humphrey, this is your team, man. Talk to me. Because all I've said all year long is you could throw on this team. Now you got to think that they bubble-wrapped uh, Baker Mayfield, uh, all his ailments and malignments, right, everything else wrong with him. You got to think that that's what they did for him. Tim, talk to me about losing Marlon Humphrey, because I think that this is massively devastating for this team. Uh, you could argue that he's the most important defensive player. Not the best, because Patrick Queen is the best, but the most important defensive player. And now he's gone. I, you know, I like Baltimore. Tim, I like them a lot more before I knew Humphrey was down. It's one of those injuries that it doesn't get the credit it should, right, Tom? Because this, this is a season situation now that you're talking about. And, and when I saw that, I, it's just, I was like, wow, the wrong time for this to happen to this team. Uh, already sh- kind of struggling here, even though, you know, we're talking about a team, Tom, that sits at 8-4 and four in the AFC and just two weeks ago was the best team in the AFC, right? Now there's a, a game lead over Cincinnati. Pittsburgh and Cleveland are chomping at the pits, even though Pittsburgh, whatever we just saw Thursday night, kind of in my mind eliminated them officially. But the thing for me is, can Baker find himself and I haven't seen that too much this year including just two weeks ago so did the rest help Baker Mayfield the other problem is we know they can run the ball but who's he throwing the ball to that's a pretty bigger issue and I think that Donovan Beatles Jones doesn't scare you yeah he's not exactly <laughs> on, my, on my my hot target list but look it's it's a rivalry game it's a division game I think they both played probably their worst games of the season 
two weeks ago. I expect a little more points here, but I also expect at some point, Tom, that Lamar Jackson returns to maybe not the form he showed in that, that month and a half stretch, but somewhere close to that. And even though we, yes, Humphrey is out, I, I kind of still think that they're being undervalued here. And I, I'll take the field goal, getting a field goal. I'll take it. Yeah. I, I mean, again, it was, uh, it comes to my head, I'm taking the Ravens. Okay. I get it. This is uh, just the way that you, you look at a team and you go, they've owned the series. They do. Uh, look, Cleveland might be off of a bye week, but I think Baltimore's a lot better than what they've shown. They just have to go out there and prove it. I'm just not going to touch a game like this, which could go either way. What, what, you know, what I look at in a game like this is, I think, in a weird way, Tim, I think Cleveland needs the game more. You know, Baltimore hasn't looked good, and, and Jackson hasn't looked good, but if Cleveland loses this game after a bye week and two back-to-back to the Ravens, that's, that's a rough situation, man. I think that Cleveland actually needs the game more. I don't think they'll get the game. Next game, this is what unfortunately is something that has to be played as Atlanta and Carolina will battle in the NFC South game. The Panthers at home, two and a half point favorite. Here's the thing, though. I, I, I believe, Tommy, that if Tampa wins, they clinch the division already. So it kind of shows you the gap with those teams there. A game that has to be played, Carolina. Atlanta, I know you said you like uh, Chuba tomorrow for some, some prop plays. Is that kind of direction you only go you know you don't bet this game right no i mean look uh, they played 1913 game on october 13th i think it's going to be sort of the same thing here if there's any lean here it's the under um in a game that should just be running and slow style and, and just one of those boring why are you watching this game if you're even if you are a panthers or a Falcons fan why are you watching this game two of the lower rate offenses in, in the afc or nfc top Atlanta's the good thing is I don't expect it to take up much of my time on the Red Zone channel, Tim, because I don't think a lot of scoring is going to be happening. Right. And just snake-bitten teams, right? Carolina, look, the, 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 dreaded, the dreaded injury designation with, with McCaffrey now, is that his career? Is that what his career is going to be in Atlanta? Ridley has played in, what, almost a month? For, I, mean, I don't even know why he's out. It's not an injury. It's I think it's something personal, but just – teams just in the wrong direction and star players not playing. This is going to be a horrible game to watch. 1913, uh, you know, in October, do you, do you see less scoring there? Do you take the under? Because the under has gone from 46 down to 41 here. Yeah. Well, when you're talking about Sam Darnold might come back to be the savior for Carolina, that that's not something good to do. Yeah, that was a story I saw, Tom, that Sam Darnold coming back could be the savior for a playoff push for the Carolina Panthers. I, I, you saw as well as what I did what Sam Darnold That's did disgusting. the last month he played. So. <laughs> That's disgusting. Hey, man, so, some guys need to be, get paid, Tom. You write articles, right? So. <laughs> NFC East, Dallas at Washington. The Cowboys, four-and-a-half-point favorites on the road. Uh, this is an important game for Washington, which has won four in a row, Tom. They've looked really good in doing it. They, they haven't scored a lot of points, but that defense has come – the defense that we were looking for all year long, right, Tom? We were saying, what's wrong with Rivera's defense? I think he's kind of gotten these guys playing where they need to play right now. I'm leaning Washington with the points on their home field in a division game. Isn't that the way you're supposed to go? This is the way you're supposed to go. Washington also swept the series last year. Washington is on a four-game winning streak. They've allowed 17 points per game. That's it. Uh, Washington, 
you know, they have a lot of things going for them. Antonio Gibson finally starts to look good. You can run on Dallas. But, Tim, I'm going to give you two stats here because they coincide with each other. Number one stat, Washington against the pass is third worst in the NFL. And I'm going to give you the corresponding stat. Dak Prescott, since his rookie year, is 7-1 and one against Washington. He's won seven of those eight games by 14 points on average. He absolutely owns Washington. He destroys this team. He's going to be going to the air early and often against a weak, weak secondary and a weak secondary that might not even have Landon Collins, their best player in the secondary. I, I, look, I like Washington. You're supposed to take the points in Washington. You're supposed to like Washington here. I wouldn't be surprised if Washington won. I'm not even going to go out there and say that Washington isn't the better team. But I worry about that pass defense a lot. And Landon Collins does make a difference. And Dallas will have Lamb, Cooper, Gallup, and Sed Wilson all available tomorrow. That obviously was a big chunk of their their offense for uh, early in the year, Tom. Yeah, I, I mean, it, this could turn into the aerial show tomorrow. Um, and if McCarthy is smart, which is still in question, <laughs> you know, it will turn into that. All right, Seattle at Houston. The Texans a just dismal 2-10. and ten. They're already eliminated from the playoff contention, Tom, at 2-10. and ten. And Seattle just... Look, they won last week, but they, they've had issues all year, and Russell's had issues since coming back from the injury. They are a 9-point favorite on the road against Houston. What's, what say you on this one? Well, you know, nobody wants to bet Houston in this spot. Okay, we don't know if Davis Mills is going to be the, the starter. He probably will be the one playing. Uh, there, there's not a lot. Is there a lot of people that are going to go out there and kind of run to the ticket window and take Houston? No. But here's the thing. Seattle, you know, oh, well, Russell Wilson might have found himself. They still have the 31st worst defense in the NFL. Right? They still have that. Seattle, you know, you look at what they're doing. They also just lost Jamal Adams to a defense that was terrible anyway. Okay. Seattle defense last week got a win, but they allowed 6.5 yards per play. 6.5 yards per play in a win. This defense is horrific. Now, look, the Houston's are bad. 32nd in the offense, 31st in passing offense, right? 32nd in scoring offense. They are bad. Third most among sacks. They give up a bunch of sacks. I get it. But, Tim, I worry about you know, betting on and laying more than a touchdown with a defense like this. Here's a great stat. Over the last five seasons, teams coming off of a shutout loss are 18-8-2 the next game. So you're getting more than a touchdown with a team that looked broken only a week ago, with a team with one of the worst defenses in the NFL, with a team that even despite a win was run all over, and they may have lost their best defensive player off of a bad defense. It's, it's just not a case where you could possibly feel comfortable laying anything with Seattle, not the way they're playing right now. And by the way, Seattle still cannot run the ball. Two weeks ago, Russell Wilson led the league, uh, led the team in rushing with 16 yards. They cannot run the ball. They play bad defense. Uh, I can't, can't believe I'm saying it, Tim. I'm on the Texans, man. Houston scored 164 points, the worst in the NFL. You said at 32nd. What about the under? That one went 45. It's down to 40 now. It's weird because it's gone down to 40, but the spread has gone up. So they're expecting, again, here's how you read you know, read lines for those out there that are looking how to read lines. 
they are expecting what, what that's telling you that the fact that the the, the number is falling, the total is falling, but the spread has gone up. They're telling you they expect Seattle's defense to be the big power play here. Seattle's defense is going to shut down Texas. That's far fetched for me for how bad this defense has been all year. We'll take our final timeout. We come back. We'll look at the afternoon matchups, including the uh, game of the day, Buffalo-Tampa. And then we'll get you the Sunday nighter and, of course, the Monday nighter since we are off tomorrow night. We'll get you those five games left on the, the ledger. And then our free plays. Free plays are uh, doing very well this year. So make sure you stay tuned for that at the end of the hour. It's Heat Wave Sports here on a Saturday night, Fox Sports Radio. Five games left on the NFL 14, Week 14 ledger. And, Tom, before we get to that, just some quick programming updates. So tomorrow, no heat wave sports. VGK against Minnesota over at the T-Mobile Arena. Then, Tom, we actually are on both days next weekend. So we get the Saturday and Sunday editions of heat wave sports. Because the following weekend we are off completely with Christmas uh, the 25th and the 26th. So that's our schedule for the rest of the of the year, Tom. And then we're going to be off New Year's Day as well. So kind of kind of choppy, Tommy, but obviously, you know, holidays and uh, Vegas Golden Knights. But next week we get the doubleheader, Saturday and Sunday. First time we've done that in a while, actually. Yeah, yeah crazy to say uh, <clears throat> the end of the year, right? I mean, it's just a... Uh, it's a little bit nuts to, to go out there and think end of the year. <laughs> it's it's gone. Yeah, you're right. It's gone. It's now 2022 coming up. Uh, you know, it is what it is, right, Tom? It is what it is, man. <laughs> we can leave this year behind. <laughs> All right. So week 14, let's look at the afternoon games. Detroit at Denver. So Detroit gets their first win of the season against Minnesota last week. Denver just a shell of what they look like early and I think you called it in week was it four or five that this Denver team was a little over inflated and, and they, they've definitely come back to earth from where they were at that point. So is a Denver team Tom that sits at 6-6 six and six right now and yes I know they're playing the Lions 1-10-1. Should Denver be an 11-point favorite tomorrow? I, I think they should. <laughs> I think they should just because of all of the ridiculous injuries. There will be no DeAndre Swift. There will most likely be no Jamal Williams. So that's the first and second string running backs for Detroit. There will be no TJ Hawkinson. They're starting tight end. There will be uh, a couple of defensive players. I mean, Detroit just got destroyed all of a sudden with all these injuries. And you got to think about if you're – Betting on this game, Campbell, uh, Dan Campbell in the locker room was giddy as a school kid, right? Winning a game. Well, they got their one win, and if you're on a no-win team, you can get motivation to win that one game, right? That one win, we got it, we got it over the hump. We're not going to, with a zero. We got the one win. How do you motivate this team now to get the second win, right? I mean, getting the one win gets the monkey off the back. Getting the second win is almost a natural emotional letdown here. 
So you have emotional letdown. You have on the road. You have nasty weather conditions in Denver. You have half your team is banged up. All of your star players are hurt. Yeah, I think Denver should be a big favorite here. I, I don't like laying double digits, but if there was a spot to do it, it might be here. Got to think the the what is it we always talk about the when a when a team wins a big rivalry game or they they upset a team they, they the emotional letdown the next time they play. Detroit won their Super Bowl last week, Tom. They're ready to go. The the Dan Campbell's wife was celebrating like they won the lottery. Yeah, I mean they really. That, that's what I'm saying. It has to be that emotional letdown. I, I can't see them winning back to back games, and it's not because of the Detroit Lions uh, winning back to back games. It's just because I, I can't get that reaction of Campbell out of my head. You know, dancing around, running around, his wife, his wife going nuts. And now you think that they're going to keep that level of intensity going away in a bad environment. Right? It's going to be freezing cold in Denver. Nah, that's not going to happen. Giants in L.A. to take on the Chargers. San Diego, L.A. Chargers, a nine-point favorite tomorrow. Tom, the Giants, 4-8 and eight this year. And the Chargers have crept to within a game of Kansas City. They're in the West. They're at 7-5. and five. Nice win last week over Cincinnati. Now they're home. And, and uh, I know there's a, a situation with the receiving core. Look, <laughs> you're have, without your best player, right? So there's an issue there. But I think there's enough weapons for the Chargers here. I don't know about covering the game, but they win this game and they, they uh, stay right there with Kansas City in the playoff race. Yeah, we just don't know who, who, who the Giants are going to be playing. I heard Mike Williams will be back, but Keenan Allen might not be back. Uh, now, on the injury report, you got uh, you know James is going to be banged up for the Chargers. Yeah, this is another one of those games. Look, there's a lot of injuries, a lot of problems. Um, but I think it's a lot to ask the Giants to even be competitive in a game like this. The Chargers are the better team. The Chargers should really have their way with them. Um, the Giants are 1-5 straight up on the road this year. It's just not a good spot for the Giants. But like you said, I think I'm a little bit worried about laying double digits in a spot like this. This would be a game, and not even from the, the point, sp- point spread aspect, Tom, but this is a game that, look, the Chargers know it, it's so crazy. It doesn't matter who the coach is, Tom. It doesn't matter what year it is. It's always like the Chargers find themselves in these same situations year after year after year, right at the end of the year, battling for a playoff spot. And something happens. Well, you think with, look, you got Herbert now. Uh, there's a new coach. And, yes, I know Allen is out, most likely out. With Williams, who's kind of disappeared here in the middle of the season, if he's playing, he needs to have a big game. But isn't this what we always talk about? Isn't this an Austin Eckler game that he determines whether they win or lose? I think it has to be, right? I mean, they don't run Austin Eckler as much as they should. He's a, he's a guy out of the backfield and everything else. This is one of those pounded type of games. They have to run the ball. They have to keep it on the ground. There's no reason to extend Herbert here and make him do too much. This should be a game where also, by the way, you have to think that they also have Kansas City coming up here. Um, and Kansas City, they don't want to open up their playbook either. So why not? You know, why not make this that slow, ugly, gross kind of game where you – you know, because they're playing on Thursday against uh, Kansas City. So you don't have a lot of time. You know, you don't have a lot of time to prepare. You don't want to empty up your your, your you know, bag here, show them too much. This looks like a Chargers running attack. Austin Eckler probably a decent prop play. So you brought up a good point with the Thursday game against KC Divisional. The huge game, huge game. Is maybe 
an angle we're looking at. I, I'm not trying to justify betting the, the Raiders, Tom, but could KC be looking past Las Vegas? They destroyed them a month ago. Uh, they just saw them put up 15 points a week ago, and they know the Chargers are sitting there with an afternoon game, so they need to win in order to maintain that lead in the division. Could they be? Could this be a spot to bet the Raiders? I, I hate to go back to the first game, but you brought up a good, good. Um, it's a good angle, so I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, if Waller was in here and Waller was okay, that would be my lead. An increasing line, divisional game, look-ahead spot. Uh, oh, yeah, Tim, it's got all the makings for that, right? All the makings for what we look for in this business to, to kind of take advantage of. But without Waller, I'm just not sure they're going to be able to score it. Game of the day. Buffalo at Tampa. Tampa Bay three, three and a half. At home against the Bills. Tommy, the Bills. So they have wrapped around a win on the road, a dominant win at New Orleans. A banged up New Orleans, by the way, with no Kamara on Thanksgiving. They got whitewashed by the, the Colts on their home field the week before that. And then just last week, Monday night, and I know that you, you, you put up a great video on YouTube and everybody needs to check that out, that people overreacting to the, the Patriot win Monday night against Buffalo. Great win, great game, but weather definitely played into that one. So an adjustment here. Uh, look, Tampa's the champs, and Tampa, what are they, 9-3, um, nine and three, and they won three in a row, and they're scoring points, right, Tommy? So... I know a lot of people love Tampa tomorrow. I'm kind of liking Buffalo here out of the element. I know the element is supposed to play to their advantage sometimes, but I like them out of the element because I don't think we've seen a true Buffalo team here in almost a month now. Yeah, me, me too. And, and, you know, there are certain teams that you know what their flaws are. The Buffalo Bills cannot stop elite rushing attack. The people that have taken advantage of this Buffalo defense that, by the way, is still ranked number one in a lot of categories, is still the number one scoring defense. Who has taken advantage of this Buffalo running defense, right? Because don't, don't give me Jacksonville, even though that's a loss. They didn't take advantage. No, there's been three people who have taken advantage of it, and it has been Bill Belichick's insane, ridiculous, Navy-style running attack, okay? It was Jonathan Taylor, who is the best running back in the NFL, and it was Derrick Henry, who is the best running back in the NFL, until Jonathan Taylor took that crown from him, right? I don't think anybody's going to argue that Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry are both in the MVP conversation, and Bill Belichick is his notor. I mean, that, that was one of the most ridiculous rushing attacks that we've ever seen ever. So now we go back to a team that relies on their past. Now, I know Leonard Fournette's having a good year, but relies on the past. They're built to beat a team like this. Buffalo is built to beat a team like this. The Buffalo Bills cannot run the ball. Well, nobody can run the ball on the Tampa Bay Bucks. So what Buffalo does well here really plays into this game. Buffalo's defense plays really well against the pass. That's the number one thing Tampa Bay does. Buffalo's offense plays really well against the, you know, the, the pass or plays really well with the pass, not with the run. Well, no one's going to run on Tampa Bay anyway. You can pass on this team. Though. So everything that you like about Buffalo falls directly to the place. Sometimes you get a great opponent, Tim. This is a pretty good opponent for this spot. Sunday night football, black and blue. Your Bears, Tom, 4-8 and eight 
at Green Bay Lambeau Field. Packers 9-3, and three, double digits. Minus 12 are the Packers tomorrow night on NBC. What do we got in this one? Tim, should I, uh, should I, should I go and just tell you the ridiculousness that is this game? The ridiculousness that is Aaron Rodgers. One of my, my favorite betting uh, kind of scenarios is Aaron Rodgers at home in December. You just don't go against him. You guys have heard me for a decade to rip, rip apart Aaron Rodgers. Well, Aaron Rodgers is 22-3 and three in December at home. 22-3, and three, Tim. 56-6 touchdown in interception ratio. Now he's going up against a Bears team. No team hit. There will be no Keith Tambor. There will be no Achille Mack, of course. There will be no Eddie Jackson. Um, this is a Packers team that is undefeated at Lambeau Field. The Packers had a bye week to prepare for this. Uh, Justin Fields is going to start, who is telling everybody I'm healthy. Nagy was like, well, he might not be healthy. He's going to start. There's massive problems in Chicago. Everything's falling right for Green Bay. The Packers should destroy this team. And, oh, by the way, the Packers uh, would have had a chance to win up, wrap up the NFC North, depending on the Minnesota game. Minnesota wound up you know, pulling that game out. But basically, the Packers almost wrap it up here. The only thing going for Chicago is one thing. That's it. There's one thing going for Chicago here. And that's the I own you comment, Tim. How much does that play into it? Well, Rodgers was asked about it this week, and he doubled down. Bears players were asked about it this week, and they made it real known that that really did bother them. That got under them. I, I think the Packers win this game. I think they win handedly, easily, with no problem. But again, I still have an issue in a division game laying double digits, and that small sliver of maybe some pride. Maybe the Bears have some pride, Tim. I don't know, but maybe. Maybe that will keep me away just just a little bit. And Monday night, NFC West, huge game here. Rams at Arizona. The Cardinals, two-and-a-half-point favorites at home. So there's a two-game division lead that Arizona has on the Rams. If the Rams are going to win this division, Tom, they have to win Monday night. I don't see how they don't. Um, you know, this is a game where you're looking at, look, they broke the eight-game losing streak for the Rams. I get it. Daryl Henderson is out for the Rams. Murray and Hopkins are back healthy and rested. Cardinals are plus 12 turnover or over ratio, right? Hey, here's the thing, though. Matthew Stafford, let's start talking about him. He's 9-70 against teams with a winning record. He's never beat a team that's five games over 500. I have never been a believer in this Cardinals team. They are at home. They are on Monday night. They are looking for recognition. They are looking for some respect. The way to do that is you go out there and you win this game. And Tim, man, you know, every single thing that I read, people are loving the Rams, and I just have no idea why. I have no idea how anybody could back the Rams in this spot. Is it a situation where Arizona has to prove it, though, right, Tom? This is, this is the well, time I mean, that's, to do it. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, look, I'm saying I, I can't understand why anybody likes the Rams. That doesn't mean I'm going, you know what, you know, I'm going to run to the bank to take this. This is still a tough game. Everything just falls into the Arizona lap. Everything, it just makes sense to go with Arizona here. It all just goes in that area of, okay, look, how do you possibly bring yourself to go bet on the other team? I can't do it. I just look at this game and I go, you know, it's too much Arizona here. But you're right. It is a spot where it's a matter of, well, listen, you got to go out there and you got to prove it again. And if you do, 
maybe people will start taking you serious because all year long, no one's still, still no one's taking Arizona serious. The problem, too, is that Arizona kind of got through that injury bug situation, that time period of injury bugs relatively unscathed. I think it went three and one, right? Whereas the Rams, and these two teams played earlier in L.A., and Arizona just demolished them since then. Look, this week, Henderson's not playing. Robert, that, The Robert Woods injury, I think, Tom, hurt them the most when you look at this Ram team. And I'm talking about a team that's 8-4, and four, right? I'm talking about a team that's probably going to be in the playoffs, but they're not the same team that they were. And I think you see Cup without Woods there as kind of that safety blanket. Look, Van Jefferson's not the same guy. If he gets open, look, he's a speedster, but he's not the same guy that Robert Woods is, and, and you're kind of seeing that issue here in L.A. right now. Well, this is a good time to plug my show, Tim, because tomorrow morning I'm going to have Ed Smith on the uh, ex-Cardinal, uh, and I'm going to ask him about a lot of that. I'm going to ask him about, listen, you know, does it take away from the fact that Murray was able to go down and Hopkins for a month and they still won games? Does it take away the fact of Murray? Does that make – are they going to be rusty for Monday night? I know they got one game under their belt, but can they be rusty, or is this just the rest kind of thing? that all of a sudden comes back. And I want to ask them about the Rams and their approach of the Rams. People are now starting to see Stafford's banged up. He can't win big on the road. They're too reliant upon Cooper Cup. Dallas Henderson is out. I mean, the Rams are starting to have a little bit of problems, and they're starting to have these doubters that I've been saying since before the year began. Well, we're at that time, Tom. This is, this is the time everybody loves the free play segment of, of the show. Last week we got we got a win and we got a push. We, you gave us the ugly stick, Tom. So we are sixteen nine and one on the season. You gave us that ugly stick, man. Yeah, I, I don't like those pushes any more than you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll go ahead and start it this week. The Timmy teaser. What, what do you think about the Timmy? I know it's made you money, man. There's no way it hasn't. It's it's been an incredible it has made season. Maybe a for considerable us. amount of money. <laughs> I know when you bet it, you're grinding your teeth just on pure principle, but it's been a great run with the Timmy Teaser this year. Yes, it has. Absolutely. And then let's do it again here. I, you ask me every week, did you take it? Of course I took it. <laughs> why, why would I? You, you consistently win. I, I don't care if I don't like the thing. I'm going to constantly take it. Yeah. You're like, I always follow you, Tim. I always follow you. <laughs> yes, always. All right, here we go. I like... I like the Chargers laying two. We're going to go seven points. We always go seven points. So give me the Chargers laying two. We, we essentially just have to win. Even if they kick a last-second field goal, if the Giants are in it, we get, we get the W. I just think it's a situation where they, they kind of smell the division there. And I know Kansas City's just playing great football right now, but they're going to play here coming up, right, Thursday night. It's a big game. So are they looking past the Giants, possibly, but but you know what? They got a big win on the road last week in Cincinnati. They're coming home. I think this is a, this is not a look ahead spot. It's more of a hey, let's win and let's move into Thursday night and, and take on the Chiefs at that point. It, it works the opposite, I, I think, with Kansas City maybe looking past, uh, as we spoke earlier, looking past the Raiders, a team that they just crushed weeks ago with San Diego coming and the Raiders play. Uh, the Raider game in, in the is the back end of the of the two team teaser here. So, give me the Chargers at home. Yes, I know Allen. The situation there is probably not is out, but I like Eckler a lot tomorrow, and I think Herbert has has a nice game, especially with uh, who is it? 
Mike Glennon's the quarterback tomorrow for the Giants, correct? Oh, yeah. I so I, I like that better than, than uh, Danny Jones in there. Although Barkley, I think, look, this is looking a little bit better every week, Tom, so I'll, we have to keep an eye on that. But I think it's enough that we can just get the two-point win and get out of there with a W on the first leg. The second leg, I'm, I'm going back. So the last couple of weeks I've actually thrown in a total, and it's worked for us. So I'm going to go back to a total on the second leg, and it will be that Vegas-Kansas City game, Tom. I'm going to go over the 41 in this one. I think the Raiders, yes, I, I would love it a lot more, like you said, if Waller was playing. But I think for somehow they're, they're going to be able to get at least 20 points in the game. We only need 41 to get the win. So give me the over 41 Vegas Chiefs and give me the Chargers minus the two. I like it. I do. I like it. Yeah, everyone's going under in that game in the, the KC game. That number has fallen all the way down to 47 in some spots. So uh, people are, are going again uh, the other way on you. So you might be able to get a little bit of line value there. All right, look. I'm doing the same thing. I'm going with something that uh, the listeners of this show are going to go, wait, uh, Tom's lost his mind, but here we go. I'm going with the over in the Packers and Bears game tomorrow night. Over 42 now it is down to, Tim. It's fallen all the way down to 42. Uh, I, I think that Aaron Rodgers might score 42 on his own. Look, I, he just dominates the Bears. There's no way to sugarcoat this Chicago. I'm a Bears fan. Dominate Chicago. He dominates at home. He's coming off of a bye week. He's coming off of a bye week at home in prime time against this Bears team in maybe his last time ever against the Bears in Green Bay. And you look at all the, the, the idea of, well, he was banged up. He's saying that he's fine and he's healthy now. And you're going up against a Bears defense that is missing not one, not two, not three, but four starting players and Roquan Smith, their best player, Barely suited up last week. He was banged up, and he missed practice this week. So he'll be in there, but how much is he going to be effective? I think Aaron Rodgers puts up at least 30 points. He might put up 40 by himself in just an absolute just disaster here. And the reason why I like uh, the over on the Bears side is, look, Justin Fields gives you a shot to at least do some stuff. He might have a couple of runs and do some crazy things. I wouldn't expect uh, more than 20 points from the Bears. But you know what? I just said 30, 40 <laughs> from Rodgers, 20 for the Bears. Yeah, this, this game's going well into the 50s, and it'll go over the 42 points. Over 42 for Tommy on the free play. 31-14 gets you there, Tom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, I, think, I, I think it might be 42 to 10. <laughs> Should we worry about any weather situations there, or are we, we good to go? Yeah, it's going to be cold. There, there might be some drizzle, but nothing uh, crazy. Tom, my favorite thing that you've done lately is these YouTube videos, man. I, I, I love them. It's great content. It's all, all you know, as soon as something's going down and you're there putting a video up, let everybody know where to find you on YouTube. That that and your new podcast, those are the, the new Tom Barton Sports Ventures. Yeah, guys, please go check it out. It is uh, Tom Barton Sports on YouTube. Uh, I have uh, almost 1,000 subscribers right now, so when you go there, Check it out, like, and make sure that you guys subscribe. Subscribe, it keeps me out there. And then, look, we have the new podcast, right? It's Believe in Betting on the Podcast. I do a Believe in the Ivy League. You guys want to check that out as well. Plus, always make sure you listen to Want to Bet tomorrow morning. I'm going to have Ed Smith on. And um, right after Ed Smith, you don't guys don't want to wake up and be around for the, the early 11 a.m. Eastern Time show. If you don't want to do that, 
Well, I take that and I put it on the Believe in Betty podcast as an extra episode, so you'll be able to get that and listen in for the Monday night game. All that, and make sure, guys, big data or four games I, I'm putting up at TomBartonSports.com. As of last week, and I put this on Twitter, I was number one in the country at CapperTech.com. Number one at CapperTech, TomBartonSports.com. That is a documented site. Everybody in the country was looking up at me at TomBartonSports.com. Tommy, we'll talk in a few hours. Uh, you know, games start going. We, we, we start talking, so... Get a little bit of rest, and good luck tomorrow, sir. Talk to you next week, everybody. Tom Barton, TomBartonSports.com. Want to bet? That's loaded up and ready to go for me on my ride home from work. And the YouTube videos, make sure you check it out over at TomBartonSports.com. For Tommy, for Brian, we'll talk to you guys next Saturday night at 10 o'clock. Have a great sports Sunday. Have a great sports week. It's Heatwave Sports. Only on Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Good night.